This is the Kurt Vonnegut Museum and Library on WQRT 99.1 FM, Indianapolis. In 1922, Kurt Vonnegut was welcomed to Earth. Over his 84 years, he became a beloved writer known for his unflinching look at the world and an outspoken voice for free speech and common decency. Known for his unique sardonic style, Vonnegut published 14 novels, three collections of short stories, five plays, and five works of nonfiction. In 2022, the Kurt Vonnegut Museum and Library are celebrating Vonnegut's 100th birthday. Join me, Chris Lefebvre, and my co-host, Sam Bannon, as we explore the ways Vonnegut's legacy has shaped the lives of others and continues to make souls grow. From the Kurt Vonnegut Museum and Library, this is the Vonnegutcast. 2022 is the year of Vonnegut at 100, a century of stories. The Kurt Vonnegut Museum and Library has a full year of programs and events celebrating the life, work, and legacy of Kurt Vonnegut. In July, we are hosting our 11th annual Teaching Vonnegut Workshop Series. This year, workshops will be 100% virtual and classes are now open for registration at kvml.org. Led by experts in their field and Vonnegut scholars, workshops aim to enhance both public educator knowledge on a variety of topics related to the works, interests, and philosophy of Kurt Vonnegut. Stay tuned to kvml.org and our socials for upcoming announcements about Band Books Week, Vonnegut Fest, and the rest of our 22 events and programs. Hello and welcome to the Vonnegut I'm your host, Sam Bannon, and I'm joined by my co-host, Chris Lefebvre. Today, we are thrilled to have Dr. Christina Jarvis as our special guest. Christina Jarvis is a noted Vonnegut scholar and professor of English at SUNY Fredonia. Her book, Lucky Mud and Other FOMA, A Field Guide to Kurt Vonnegut's Planetary Citizenship, will be published by Seven Stories Press in October. And she'll be returning to teach at Teaching Vonnegut this upcoming July. Christina, thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing today? I am great. I am feeling like some pretty lucky mud to be on this podcast. You don't understand. I am such a Vonnegut geek <laughs> that this is like such a, a great opportunity to to just geek out and talk about Vonnegut. And I'm such a fan of the KVML. It's a, it's truly an honor. And I don't mean that in a Horlick-Minton kind of way. <laughs> I, I guess I just found out I'm a geek. I, I gotta I got process this. You just now found out. I just now found <laughs> out. I'm almost forty years old. I uh, oh my god. Well, we're off to a good start, Christina, because Lucky Mud is one of my favorite things in all of Vonnegut, let alone Cat's Cradle. We just uh, put up a free expression graffiti wall on the side of our building uh, in Indianapolis, where people can spray paint anything they want. And what I chose to spray paint is Lucky Me, Lucky Mud. So we're off to a good start for today's show. That is so awesome. I was wondering who put that. I saw that. I was like, oh, that. cool. That it rock. was me. It was me. Perfect. Well, yeah, like I said, we're off to a good start. But uh, clearly, obviously, you're you're a huge Vonnegut fan, as you just said, you're a Vonnegut geek. Um, what was the first time you encountered the work of Kurt Vonnegut? How did you kind of fall in love with, with his writing? Well, it's actually kind of funny because you would think that, you know, I, I fell in love with Vonnegut and have been reading him ever since. So what actually happened when I was in junior high, I would steal books from my brother's closet, and my brother would steal my mom's Vonnegut books. <laughs> and the very first book I stole was God Bless You, Mr. Rosewater. 
and that will always have a place in my heart, you know, because it, it just touched me deeply. Mm-hmm. But honestly, from there, I read Slaughterhouse-Five and Breakfast of Champions. And I'm embarrassed to say, but I really didn't get it. I think I was too young to read Vonnegut. How old were you? I was probably like 13, 14. Okay. I mean, I, I, the, the drawings in Breakfast of Champions appealed to me, especially since I was rebelling against Catholic school. <laughs> but it wasn't until much later that I really came back to Vonnegut's work. And I have to say, as someone who, who turned 50 last year, uh, I think there's so much about Vonnegut that it takes more life experience and almost to be middle-aged to fully grasp some of the depth of it. So I have a strange story with many vindits, um, but it wasn't like a straightforward path. It was definitely very honest in meandering um, circles and peculiar travel suggestions. Well, that's, that's life. That's life right there. Peculiar travel suggestions. I like, I like your reference to uh, Lucky Mud as well. Um, for our listeners, there's a reference to uh, Mud from Cat's Cradle where he talks about man making or God making man out of mud. And he looked around in all of his splendiferous glory and the man sat up and said, what is the purpose for all of this? And God goes, everything must have a purpose. And the man says, certainly. And then God looks around again, and then he just walks away. Then I, or, or No, God says, I leave it to you to think of a purpose for all of this. And then he walks away. Uh, there was an amazing night in Indianapolis where we went to uh, Big Lug Brewery to get the Bokanon Burger. Mm-hmm. Uh, Christina, if you've never had the Bokanon Burger here in Indianapolis, it is a burger on a palmon loaf uh, full of jardinera and mozzarella cheese. It is to die for. And I bought Bokanon Burgers for everyone in my family. And later on that night, we were watching my brother play, or my three-year-old son play around with a broom. And he knocked over my Vonnegut Library pint glass. And I just thought it was so funny. Prior to having kids, I would have lost my mind over the destruction of a pint glass. And I just had to sew it go so hard that night. Because we were all sitting there like a bunch of idiots watching a small child play with an enormous broom. And it never crossed our minds. Like, I wonder if he'll knock all the glass stuff off the kitchen table. And I could not stop thinking about that cat's cradle line where it's like, I leave, you, I leave, I leave it to you to think of a purpose for all of this. Because it seems so deranged. Well, I have to get one of those burgers next time I'm in an indie. Yes, I will treat you. They have a they have a beer called the Christopherson too, which I uh, I said was named after the songwriter Chris Christopherson, who's also a fanatical Vonnegut fan. Um, they they corrected me. It's named after Christopherson the Fox from Fantastic Mr. Fox. Mm. But I changed. I, I told him I changed my mind that it's still named after Chris Christopherson. And then the brewer and I stared at each other for a while. <laughs> well, that's interesting that you bring that up because we were. Before we went on with Lewis Black a couple weeks ago, we were talking about how to actually pronounce Boconan and Boconanism, and apparently it is pronounced Boconan and Boconanism, according to Kurt Vonnegut himself, and I don't think I've ever heard anyone but Kurt Vonnegut say Boconan. You said Boconan. I always said... well, I don't even, even know what I said anymore <laughs> before I, that. I have to. I love that you brought that up because I am very bad with foreign languages. I've been told in many different languages I have a terrible accent. So when I was in uh, <laughs> high school, I took Latin because it was a dead language. And, and you can't offend anybody. <laughs> yes, if you pronounce things wrong. So I, I go by, I, even though I've heard Kurt pronounce it, I go by Bokanon. Interesting. You know, I'm going to put the accent there. I'm going to own it. And I live by the FOMA that make me brave and happy and kind and free. So, damn it, the, the I, it's spoken on is um. I like it. We're doing I'm, good I'm so here far. For it, yeah. 
any any answer you give Christina where you angrily say, "Damn it, I'm going to say it this way," I think I think is good. Okay. Um, but we we recently had on uh kind of kind of some musical themed episodes, if you will, with the Thompson Brothers, who are new musical directors and residents at the Vonnegut Museum, but then also Rhett Miller, um, from the old '97. Uh, we talked a lot about music on those episodes to kind of continue with our musical theme, if you will. Um, Christina Jarvis, what kind of music do you listen to? And Christina, if your answer is music sucks, I hate music, that's totally okay. We'll we'll broadcast that. No. Maybe not. We, we won't <laughs> willingly broadcast it, but we will. No, 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 no. Um, so, I mean, A, we were talking about sirens earlier, and I think of the harmoniums feeding on music. I, I actually teach at a school that's known for music. So I'm surrounded by amazing musicians. But in answer to your question, I think if Epicac 27 were to look at my algorithms, he, she, it would say, what a strange human being. I've started using YouTube music as a good Boken Honest would, you know, just whatever. And so my algorithm will go from like Ella Fitzgerald and Louis Armstrong to the Hamilton soundtrack to John Mayer and YouTube to Bruno Mars to the B-52s to the Lilith Fair <laughs> to like Yo-Yo Ma if, because I was grading or like Zen yoga music. We're waiting for you to say the Grateful Dead. And the Grateful Dead, of course. <laughs> Naturally. And I did, just for the record, I, I did see the Grateful Dead once in, in college, the night before I was supposed to defend my uh, senior honors thesis. Oh, well, now I'm dying of jealousy in the, in the radio. <laughs> oh, my God. So I, I have seen them, but I am not worthy of your fandom, if you will. Well, it, it's funny you mentioned that uh, Jerry Garcia had the movie rights from the Sirens of Titan for a very long time. And uh, my family was going down to Florida when I acquired the book, and no one in my family will let me drive, which really <laughs> makes me mad. It's just because I'm absent-minded. I don't pay any attention to the road. Um, that, that's the only reason? Yeah, that's the yeah. only reason. I, I, I don't listen to background music. I background drive. Um, so I was reading Siren to Titan, and I was listening to some deep 30-minute-long Grateful Dead tunes, but when it came to the harmoniums, the creatures that speak only through music, and they're these incredibly peaceful creatures that Vonnegut, they, they live on planet Mercury, and I just thought, this is the greatest book I've ever read in my entire life. And uh, yeah, so Sirens of Titan is uh, one of those really inspiring ones. But Christina, I did interrupt your list of music that you love, so I'm going to let you continue that now. Oh, I I think it really depends on the moment, you know, what, what I'm listening to. I guess the real question would be, what do I actually own on vinyl, which would be a lot of 80s new wave. Nice. I'm kind of proud that the B-52s, B-52s was my first ever album. And I recently found I have a, a Sugar Cubes album signed by the entire band. I, I went to school in Rutgers and we had this amazing record shop called Cheap Thrills, you know, and I got to see like the Indigo Girls play in the back of the music uh, store. And they would always have, you know, like Echo and the Muddy Echo and the Bunny Men uh, Japanese imports and weird. So I have a lot of weird, well, 80s new wave. I was going to say, how many how many Sting solo albums do you own? I don't think I have. Of course, you love the police, but... Um, <laughs> we should start asking that question every guest we have. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> that should be our opening question from now on. How many Sting solo albums do you own? <laughs> the universal question. I think we. I think my first song that I danced to with my husband at, a, at our wedding was like Sting's Fields of Gold or something. 
So. Oh, that's awesome. Anyway, so so the the long short answer is that my music taste is very eclectic, but I just try to listen to whatever the moment calls for. The moment was structured that way. Yes, yes. a Vonnegut quote for every every. Okay, inch, I'm, yes. I'm losing already. Um, we'll segue out the music uh, conversation by wishing a happy birthday to the lovely Ella Fitzgerald, uh, my radio uh, announcer host from our jazz uh, program. Matthew Altizer is obsessed with Ella Fitzgerald, and her birthday was just a couple of days ago. So, uh, and her album Live in Berlin will change your life. Love it, love it. Yes, happy birthday to Ella Fitzgerald. And to transition from that into the next question for you, Christina, clearly you're a very big Vonnegut fan. You have just a, a reference, as Chris has said, for, for everything, which is fantastic. I mean, obviously, there are a lot of diehard Vonnegut fans, but you've taken that a step further, obviously, with becoming a researcher and now a book writer about Kurt Vonnegut. So what made you kind of take that leap from just being a regular old fan to being um, a scholarly academic researcher for Kurt Vonnegut? Well, it, again, many vindits along the path. Uh, it was actually my students that were begging me to teach more Vonnegut got me reading more, you know, not just a novel here or there in my classes, you know, starting to do major author courses on Kurt's work. But in terms of actually making the plunge to doing major archival research and devoting years of my life to reading, literally reading Kurt's laundry lists and notes on napkins and, you know, the crazy deep archival dive was really finding more about what I call his planetary citizenship. Mm -hmm. You know, I think I saw in, a, in an interview, you know, he had a draft of Breakfast of Champions where the Great Lakes disappear under plastic pollution. And I was like, what? And that happened to coincide in my own life when I was getting much more involved with sustainability efforts on campus, coordinating Earth Week, Earth Month. Um, but also, I think the other key piece for me I, I used to describe myself as a recovering ex-Catholic. I went to 12 years of Catholic school. Oh, me too. And, sort of, and had this sort of negative definition. And Vonnegut's secular humanism really gave me a very positive way of thinking about religion and extracting all the, the, the good elements and good ethical elements and ways of being. And so it was almost like this alignment of personal interest, uh, research curiosity, and then all the, the various vendants. But honestly, sometimes I'm still asking myself, how did I wind up here? You know, like I look at what I used to write about and do. Uh, so I've just been embracing, you know, these peculiar travel suggestions. And I can't tell you, it, it's wonderful. I feel like Bo is among the harmoniums, you know. I'm, what harm can you do as a Vonnegut scholar? You could do a lot of good, but what harm can you do? You know. Perfect. That's uh, I, I gotta. My mother is not a relapsed Catholic. I uh, I, I should probably prose or or uh, propose that question to her. What harm can you do as a Vonnegut? She would come into the Vonnegut library and see that huge drawing of an asshole, and she turned to <laughs> me and she was like, "So you went to grad school, and now you're doing this?" <laughs> I'm like, yeah, this is what I'm doing. So it goes, mom. Oh my god, it was so funny. She she read a couple of Vonnegut books, and she was like, "Wow." Yeah, Galapagos really went over her head. Uh, speaking of Galapagos, Christina, uh, Galapagos is often seen as Kurt's environmental satire, but there are obviously other parts of that in his other books. What are some instances of those that stand out to you? Okay, I could go on for hours, but I'll be brief. <laughs> uh, you could go all the way back to player piano, and 
I mean, that's really in addition to raising questions about humanity and technology, it really is looking at the beginning of consumerism in post-war America. It's also in asking the question what people are for, probably the most important question that we could be thinking about in the Anthropocene, which I know isn't an official epic, but really is. Um, I mean, cat's cradle, hello, locking up all the liquid water on life when we're, we carbon-based life forms depend on water, you know, I mean, right there, that's, that's huge. Obviously, breakfast of champions, you know, two skinny white men meeting on a planet that was dying fast, not only deals with regular pollution and chemical pollution, uh, looking at energy issues and car culture, but if you think about it, it's really also about urban renewal, you know, the hollowing out of a city and the kind of standardization of America. And of course, Vonnegut's nonfiction is full of things like revising the Hippocratic Oath at MIT in 1985 to, you know, suggest that we not do any harm to the planet or inventing a planetary moral code. I mean, it's everywhere once you think to look for it. So, but I'll stop myself because I would, I could literally just burn the rest of the podcast there. Well, I might, I might dig a little deeper at great risk because it's suddenly and, and literally it has suddenly dawned on me that I think every guest we've had, every single guest we've had has mentioned player piano. I was just thinking that which too. Which was yeah. surprising to me. And I say that as someone who loves the book and gets mad when people knock it. Uh, somebody called it wooden. And I was like, what does that even mean? Um, but I, I remember looking at that as a young person and reading that book and thinking, wow, yeah, that, that really, like a book written in 1952 speaks so loudly to my fears of, of the world. Because like, especially in a world where I have kids now, and I'm like, I've had to learn new things, new technology, new skills every 15 seconds. I don't think that's, who the hell ever thought that was normal or a good idea at all? Like the human the human experience is only so adaptable and and then Brexit Champions has probably been referenced by every guest we've had as well. And I think that's just a really neat book because when you read it when you're young and you're like, look at all these amazing drawings that are really vulgar and if my mother ever saw me reading this, I'd be <laughs> grounded. Like that's that's really wonderful. But when you read the book later on and you're focusing on the plot, and I think Vonnegut I'm only talking about this for so long because the critics weren't necessarily kind to Breakfast of Champions when it came out. And from the moment that Vonnegut enters the novel as, as a character to the moment where you can tell that he's given Kilgore Trout a very hard and unpleasant life and what Kilgore Trout wants the most in the world is to do it all over again. I just found that so moving. Like I, 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 so, Christina, I'd like to hear your thoughts deeper on Player Piano and Breakfast of Champions, if you wouldn't mind. One of the things I think most people don't get about player piano isn't that Vonnegut is merely critiquing technology or that Vonnegut is anti-technology. I think it really raises question, broader questions about our relationships with technology and technology, of course, is one of the things that makes us human. And I think it really probes at so many questions we're facing today, whether with automation, you know, I mean, look at Andrew Yang's candidacy we're trying to get him on the podcast because that's probably his favorite book, I'm just assuming. You would think. Yeah. You, you know, that, but that question, what are people for? You know, what is going to happen as we have driverless cars and all of this becomes more apparent? Or even in the short story, Epicac, you know, people falling in love with, or a computer falling 
in love with a human being and vice versa. Now you can marry a holograph. Well, and the, and the movie Her taking that plot and becoming a movie mm-hmm. a million years later, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, Vonnegut was raising so many questions. I would give him the great prof, you know, there's that line in Player Piano where the writer character, you know, is de- the, the people described as crazy as bedbugs for asking those questions is clearly Vonnegut himself. I think sometimes we have to take time to catch up with him. You know, again, like Breakfast of Champions, that that moment when he has the plastic molecule and Kilgore Trout steps in Sugar Creek and his his feet are coated in plastic and Vonnegut has this reflection, you know, going to Dostoevsky and it's all connected and he imagines the whole earth being wrapped in cellophane and plastic. And now look at our plastic pollution epidemic. You know, look at this moment that we're, we're at. I mean, one of the things for thinking about the Anthropocene is that we've put down so much plastic, it is a geological strata. You know, and Vonnegut was doing that in 1973. Another, if I can geek out for one quick second, uh, Vonnegut also was really experiencing climate grief in 1971. He stopped speaking at the Library of Congress because he had just heard Isaac Asimov's prediction about global warming. And he was so struck by it, he stopped speaking and couldn't go on. And as you probably know, he canceled parts of his tours in 1989 and other times. So I think that we're just catching up with a lot of Vonnegut's stuff. No kidding. It's, um, man, it's, it's funny how we can focus on the upside of like Vonnegut believing in hope while simultaneously being tremendously emotionally affected by uh, what he was seeing and being exposed to in, in, in the way that he lived and saw the world. Um, he was just very in tune with that. It, it's funny that you mentioned the plastic feet. I wonder, uh, the world wrapped in cellophane, I wonder if that's where Tom Waits got his idea for uh, for Chocolate Jesus, where he says, you best you better wrap your savior up in cellophane. Um, that's a great tune if you guys have never heard that. Um, last subject on the on the thing of environmentalism, at least for me, uh, Christina, I almost never get to talk about this in my profession, which is strange. I think Vonnegut's greatest short story of all time is arguably the big space. And we have to talk about this because like people, they turn green whenever I say the F word, which rhymes with hockey puck. That, but I mean, it's, it's, it's really, really difficult stuff. But like that is a really important short story. It, it's it's an important piece of literature, and it gets totally overlooked because it has a swear word in the title by a lot of people, I think. I'm so glad you brought that story up because, I mean, between the SpaceX launch, you know, Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk, and I mean, I'm like, we're revisiting that that moment. But, I mean, the critiques he levels at you know, the invasive species in Lake Erie or these technological fixes that technology is just going to save us all. So we're just going to give up on humanity and, you know, launch this rocket into space at the Andromeda galaxy. But it's also dealing with human population issues. You know, the references to Rachel Carson in there. Uh, It is biting and so on point. I think it was a, a fantastic story to end on. And just as a side note, I did a Vonnegut, I did the Vonnegut entry for the contemporary 
American Fiction Encyclopedia from like 1980 to 2020. And I was told that if is in a title, that they have to print it. So I went out of my way to build in the great space just to mention it, to make them print it in there. Oh, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. They, um, yeah, I, I think the fact that he managed to make that story so funny with the man-eating lampreys coming out of Lake Erie and a society where you can sue your parents for the way you were you were raised. So hopefully my wife never reads that short story because that'll give her a lot of anxiety and stress. But um, it, it's, it's a really, really funny short story. Uh, long story short, we're going to have an exhibit at the Grand Falloon Festival coming up in Bloomington. And um, yeah, I'm definitely going to feature that short story because the, the, the slogan for the festival is come for the party stay for the apocalypse nice and i I think that's the perfect short story for a grand balloon festival perfect yeah well i think it's time for us to transition out to a very brand new segment here on the vonicast are we already there we're already there this is what happens when you invite bokanonists we just go off in different directions yes it's time for a brand new segment as i said Vonnegut Trivia, a.k.a. Extreme Vonnegut Trivia. This is going to be hard trivia okay? because I'm talking to the curator of the museum and, as we've heard throughout the show, noted Vonnegut scholar Christina Jarvis. So if you're listening to this thinking, oh, God, I don't know any of these, you're probably in the majority because <laughs> I had to make these intentionally pretty gosh darn difficult to, uh, to maybe, maybe, maybe uh, get some stumps here. Okay. So if you guys are ready, we can go ahead and get started with the Extreme Vonnegut trivia question. Okay, but but wait, I I have to ask if we are playing by the Elliot Rosewater rule. God damn it, you've got to be kind. <laughs> and one of my favorite Kurtisms, which is don't make anyone feel like something the cat dragged in. Um, I would go with the uh, I want you to make Chris feel like he was a cat that's been drugged in. <laughs> Just, just go, go for, go for the throat with this. Um, here's how the rules are going to work. Uh, we will have six rounds of open-ended questions, so no multiple choice. Um, I will start by asking Chris Lefebvre a question, the creator of the Vonnegut Museum, and my co-host, of course. And then I will transition asking you, Christina, another question. Um, if you get it wrong in this round, or in any round for that matter, the other person has a chance to steal. So if you're thinking out loud be aware that that just might cause the other person to know the answer. So, I can't wait to get every single one of these wrong. So there's there's uh, there's six questions per person, and if there's a tiebreaker, we have a tiebreaker question at the end. So if you guys are ready, we can go ahead and get started with extreme Vonnegut trivia. Duh, 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 duh. You, know, you know you're getting old when you're in a studio full of beer and you don't have one and you're about to play trivia. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. But here it is, the first question of Vonnegut trivia between Chris and Christina. For you, Chris Lefebvre, from what book is this quote? To the as yet unborn, to all the innocent wisps of indifferent nothingness, watch out for life. Well, crap. Um, watch out for life, indifferent wisp of nothingness. Um, it's not slapstick. I love how I'm counting books in no particular order um <laughs> okay it's not that i dick sirens of titan that is incorrect christina it's dead i dick it is dead i dick son of a <laughs> i knew it was dead i dick <laughs> christina oh, so jarvis embarrassing. christina jarvis one point crystal fave zero. Oh, i'm just gonna lose intentionally now <laughs> 
On to Christina's round one question to go up for potentially a 2-0 lead. Christina, what is the duration in calendar years between Kurt Vonnegut's letter to Charles McCarthy from when it was written to when it was first published? Oh, I am. Now it's my turn to be embarrassed, Chris. Thank God. I don't know. <laughs> or thank Tralfamador or something. I don't know this one. Is that your final answer? Yes, I'm going to go for a lifeline. It's eight years. Chris LeFave is correct. Yes! Oh, thank God. We're, oh, all, my. we're all tied up at one apiece. Woo! Look at all the stealing we have going I'm on here. I'm sweating so hard. It's not from the White Castle either. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Round two. Chris LeFave, this one's for you. Again, the score is one apiece. Chris, in Palm Sunday, Vonnegut grades all of his novels and other books to that point, which was 1981. Without going over, how many books did Kurt Vonnegut grade at a C or worse? Interesting. Do C pluses count? Um, actually, well, no, but there are actually no C pluses that he gave his grades. So Interesting. I think you're wrong. Not applicable. Um, but, okay, one, two, oh. I have to count and think at the same time. Um, it's three. That is incorrect. Christina Jarvis, are we going to have our third steal in three rounds? Four. That is also incorrect. The answer is five. Happy birthday, Wanda June, Brexit of Champions, Wampeters, FOMA, and Grand Faloons, Slapstick, and Palm Sunday itself. Oh, that's right. He gave Palm Sunday. I forgot about Wampeters and Palm Sunday. Yeah. Okay. So thus, the score remains one-to-one. -one. We now transition to Christina's round two question. Christina, George Helmholtz is a character in several Vonnegut short stories, including a song for Selma in the collection Look at the Birdie, as well as the No Talent Kid in Bagambo Snuffbox. This character also appears in a Vonnegut novel. Yes, I know this one. Which novel is this? Sirens of Titan, of course. That is correct. When he is one of the, the people who is trying to, at the bar... To abduct Malachi, of course. Yes, he is one of the uh, the Martian army recruiters. And in the other short stories, he is a high school band teacher. Tied. Yeah, so Christina Jarvis takes the lead two to one. We now head into round three. The question is for you, Chris Lefave. And how many novels of Kurt Vonnegut's is the fictional town of Ilium, New York mentioned? Oh, that's mean. That's, that's just mean. <laughs> mentioned? <laughs> yes, mentioned. It's probably mentioned in every single one of them, but uh, um, play a piano, Slaughterhouse Five, obviously, Cat's Cradle. Um, I'm going to answer three and then get it wrong. That is wrong. Yeah, okay. Christina Jarvis. It's at least five because in Mother Night, I think, and definitely in Galapagos, but I know that there's got to be at least another one. Five is still yeah, too low. Yeah, five is too low. Honestly, if the answer is 14, it wouldn't, <laughs> it wouldn't blow my mind. I know that's probably wrong, too, but it would not blow my mind. My Vonnegut Mind Palace is not fast enough to show me. <laughs> but Christina, do you have a final answer to steal? I'll go with seven. According to Wikipedia, so take this as a grain of salt, the answer is four. What? That is incorrect. Player piano. Yeah. Cat's no Cradle. No, that's correct. Slaughterhouse <laughs> Five and Galapagos. The main character in Galapagos is a high school yes. teacher, Mary Hepburn, and she taught in Illinois, yes, New York. They they are missing in Mother Night. I believe when uh, J. Howard, not J. Uh, Howard Campbell, gives some of his backstory. Oh, you know what? In Hocus Pocus as well. That that Wikipedia entry 
is wrong. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're Sam, gonna have to, we're Sam, gonna have to update I'm, that. I'm pretty sure the answer is 14. Just so you know. Um, okay. But All speaking right. of which, this gives us a wonderful opportunity to call out one of the biggest injustices in the world. The internet can be so wrong sometimes. Uh, Christina Jarvis, you probably remember this. There's a meme going around the internet where um, the top of the meme says something about Vonnegut writing to a class and saying, do art, make your soul grow and what have you. And then the bottom half of the meme says something about going on an archaeological dig and being told that uh, you don't have to excel at everything that you want to do and stuff like that. Now, Christina and I researched the heck out of this and we figured out that it was likely true, and then someone on the internet acknowledged that the bottom part of that meme was just them talking, that the bottom part of that meme about having played the violin and being in the choir was not Kurt Vonnegut. And that thing is still being spread around the internet as Vonnegut's words. And like, I, there's a part of me that wants to correct all those people sharing the meme, and there's a part of me that's like, I don't want to be that guy. There's there's no part of me that likes to point it out when someone's wrong. <laughs> so it's like, it's I don't know. It's, it's funny that you mentioned that, Chris, because everyone was forwarding me that. And I didn't have the heart to tell them it was wrong because they were so excited to share it. Well, and, and it also mirrors Vonnegut's beliefs. Like, I, I, I think it's so insane that, like, okay, Vonnegut went on an archaeological dig. Vonnegut played various musical instruments while not being amazing at any of them. Vonnegut had a sister who he was incredibly close to, who he wrote his books with an audience of one in mind, and she was this wonderful sculptor and potter. And potter. And whenever Vonnegut would say, hey, you're going to be active about this? And she'd say, no, just because you're good at something doesn't mean you have to do it. And Vonnegut thought that was such a deranged... <laughs> Because <laughs> he was raised, like, if you have a talent, you have to grab it and run with it as far as you can. And obviously, Allie felt the complete and total opposite, which is, uh, you know, kind of a beautiful thing that you could do something just for pleasure and not for any kind of success. Or Anyway, I got way off topic there. But, Christina, like, I just felt so bad <laughs> we were talking about that. Well, let, let's get this extreme Vonnegut trivia train back on the tracks. Uh, the score for those keeping track is Christina Jarvis 2, Chris Lefebvre 1. Christina, here is your next question. Uh, this is actually from fellow Vonnegut scholar Suzanne McConnell. What kind of building did Kurt Vonnegut first teach in at the Writers' Workshop in Iowa? Wasn't it a closet hut? I think I'm mispronouncing it. I will accept that because uh, I don't know how to pronounce it either. Yeah, neither do I. I think it's Quonset. It's an unheated yes. building left over from the World War II barracks used at colleges all over the country. So Christina Jarvis... Now has three points. Chris Lefebvre stuck at just a measly one point. Yeah. Chris Lefebvre, this question is for you. The panic bar door handle was invented by Carl Prinzler. What is his relation to Kurt Vonnegut? Um, basically, the, um, the, um, the Vonnegut hardware store, when uh, one of Vonnegut's relatives was in, the, was in a Chicago theater when it caught on fire, and um, I'm going to mispronounce this too, but the Duprenheim bar or whatever that they invented so that you could push a door open without the air messing with your ability to get the door open, uh, the Vonnegut Hardware Store. That is correct. Carl Prinzler was the manager of the Builders Hardware Department at the Vonnegut Hardware Company, which was owned and operated on Kurt Vonnegut's dad's side of the family. So, Chris Lefebvre, you're now at two points. Christina, you are at three, and we now ask you your round four question. Okay. What did Kurt Vonnegut say had, quote, a far greater influence on his life than, quote, 
the mere firebombing of Dresden. The things that happened to him in his childhood. And he said that in an interview with Terry Gross, and he was talking about Dead-Eyed Dick and some of those events that, you know, with his mom and his family. That is incorrect. I'm looking for the neighborhood dogs. He did say that as well. Yes. But but I I will... <laughs> You're relying on the internet. I there. love that I, you relied on the internet. Uh, well, no, I, I I watched the Bob Whitey documentary this morning. The Robert Whitey documentary. No, that this it morning. is it is it is true. But he also said that in a Terry Gross interview, I think it was from like 1980. I could send you the interview. But he did he did say that about dogs. Okay. So I believe in chronosynclastic infundibulation. So we could both be right. <laughs> yes, we can. Well, he said that he said the death of his sister too had a bit like he actually. Because he got asked a million times over the course of his life about the bombing of Dresden, and this is mentioned in the in the Whitey documentary as well. Just the fact that, like, I don't know if it was men of the time or what have you, but he would do everything in his power to kind of deflect the "Yes, I'm completely traumatized. I'm I'm very, the trauma is considerable." He would all, I, I don't think he ever answered like that. I think more often than not, it was like, "Oh, this other thing happened, and it was a bigger deal." And uh, one of the things he listed was the passing of his sister. Well, for this answer, Christine, I'm going to reward you half a point because you're probably right, but I don't know. Okay. So three and a half to two <laughs> in favor of Christina Jarvis. We now move on to round five of six. This question is for Chris Lefave. Chris, what short story collection features a story titled Mr. Z? Um, that is Bagambo Snuffbox. And that is incorrect. Christina. This now moves to you for a chance to steal. I believe one of the posthumous collections. So it's either while mortals sleep or look at the birdie. I'm going to, I always lose the coin flip in Wordle. So I'm going <laughs> to guess, oh, I'm going to guess while mortals sleep. That is correct. Yes. You have stolen yet another point I am getting from an Chris Lefebvre. It's a good thing I'm cool with mediocrity. <laughs> it's now four and a half to two favor of Christina Jarvis. Now, Christina, your round five question. Chance to go up five and a half to two and really put this out of uh, out of reach from Chris. Uh, Edward Crone was a soldier with Kurt Vonnegut in World War II, and he was largely the inspiration for Billy Pilgrim and Slaughterhouse-Five. On what day did Edward Crone die? Palm Sunday, of course. Looking for a date and day. Oh, well, it would have been obviously 1945, April. And it would, I don't know the day. Yeah, that would be absurd. Well, I think I'll give you a half point for that. Another half point to bring you up to a total of five. Um, Chris, do you want to try to steal? Since you said that's absurd, I'm guessing you don't. <laughs> I have no you don't idea, know. yeah. The a reason, April 7th, 1945. The reason I, I put this in is because that it's the exact same day that Kurt Vonnegut died, uh, which April is April 11th. 11th. Oh, that's very strange. 62 years prior to when Kurt Vonnegut died. So now the score, I believe, is five for Christina and two for Chris. Um, I will go ahead and ask these final two questions anyways, even though Christina Jarvis has mathematically won the competition. Only in this universe. Yeah. Somewhere in the multiverse on the planet Boo Boo, yeah. for example, because Chris is so musically talented. He is. He is. He is. He is winning. Yeah. I'm kicking. <laughs> That's right. You are. All right. So for round six, the final round, this is a character-themed round. 
So get ready. Okay. All right, <laughs> Chris, this one is for you. Uh, what is the full name and title? Looking for it exactly. The full name, the full name and title of Howard Campbell's newspaper-owning white nationalist supporter in Mother Night. Oh Jesus! Um, Jones is all I remember. So, yeah, Jones. Christina, this now goes to you. Was it the White Christian Minuteman? That is his newspaper. I'm looking for his name and title. The character's name. Oh, I better get a half point out of knowing Jones. <laughs> With the dentist. Oh, I haven't read Mother Night recently, but I could tell you about his degree and his work on teeth. And I, and I can tell you the whole, yeah, the Jones wasn't completely crazy. He was just missing a series of teeth. <laughs> was it Lionel? Lionel Jones? That is about one fourth correct so i'm looking for reverend dr lionel jason david oh. jones dds dd <laughs> that's what i'm I, looking for i came up with a first name yes well chris came up with a last name so i'll award half a point so together to both so five, five and a half to two and a half <laughs> i should have made each thing worth two so yeah. it would have been just yeah so we wouldn't have to deal with fractions who like to do this again sometime <laughs> but here we go for the final question for Christina Jarvis, who has an insurmountable lead here. Five and a half to two and a half. Christina, in Breakfast of Champions, Kurt Vonnegut writes that a character, uh, quote, was stupid on purpose, which was the case with most women in Midland City. The women all had big minds because they were big animals, but they did not use them much for this reason. Unusual ideas could make enemies. And the women, if they were going to achieve any sort of comfort and safety, Needed all the friends they could get. What was this character's name? It has to be Patty Keene working at the Burger Chef. It does has to be Patty Keene because <laughs> that is correct. Six and a half to two and a half. Christina Jarvis is our first Vonnegast trivia champion. Congratulations, Christina. How does it feel? It feels amazing. I, I'm going to put it on my CV, right? Perfect. We are... <laughs> We are going to award you a special prize, which we will send you in the mail. It's unfortunate that Chris couldn't win the special prize because it saves us some shipping costs if he had done that. But, yeah. but so it goes. We will be more than happy to send you your special prize to New York. Wonderful. Wonderful. And with that said, that is the end of the Extreme Vonnegut Trivia Session. So thank you both for participating. Sweet. I'm going to go cry in my car. I ate White Castle today. How do I lose a trivia contest? <laughs> And eat White Castle mozzarella sticks in the same day. Christine, as we wrap up this episode of the Vonicast, as we ask all of our guests as they leave, what is your advice for young people today? Kurt Vonnegut often advise young people what they should be doing with their lives today. What is your advice? Well, first, I would tell them that they should go ahead and love. I know that people want to protect their hearts and not be vulnerable, but go ahead and love, whether it's a person or a thing or nature. Your heart will get broken, but it'll heal again, and you'll be a better human because of it. I would also tell them to go ahead and hope and channel Leon Trout's uh, most beautiful version of that. But I probably would quote uh, Chloe Wade, who says, you know, when people want to make change for the better, uh, start by doing what you can with what you've got, where you are. You just have to be brave enough to care. I think Kurt Vonnegut uh, was brave enough to care and love and hope uh, even when things look bad. So I would tell them to summon their original virtue, 
um, live by the FOMA that make them free and keep loving, hoping, and being a secular saint. Very well said, Christina. Very well said. And now as we formally wrap up the podcast here today, uh, Christina, thank you so much for your time and joining us here today on the Vonicast. Listeners, you can head over to sevenstories.com to pre-order her upcoming book, Lucky Mud and Other FOMA, A Field Guide to Kurt Vonnegut's Environmentalism and Planetary Citizenship. And head over to kvml.org to register for her upcoming Teaching Vonnegut Workshop, Vox Humana and Mary Hepburn, Making Vonnegut's Planetary Citizenship Live. Christina, thank you again for joining us. Thank you so much. This has been a true Uncle Alex moment for me. So you had a great time on the Vonicast, and you're now the Vonicast trivia champion. Yes. So I think it all worked out. I'm gonna I'm gonna freeze it in Tralfamadorian amber and put it on my Uncle Alex shelf with, next to my little little trophy. No, seriously, thank you so much for having me on. Yes, thank you, Christine. I mean, and until next time, Vonagidians, stay tuned to kvml.org and our socials for more exciting episodes coming soon. Thanks for listening to the Vonicast. We hope you enjoyed our conversation with Christina Jarvis. To pre-order Christina's new book coming out in October, head to sevenstories.com and stay tuned to kvml.org and our socials at Vonnegut Library for all of our events and programs, including new episodes of the Vonicast coming soon. The Vonicast is a co-production by the Kurt Vonnegut Museum and Library in WQRT, Indianapolis. Special thanks to our guest, Christina Jarvis. The Vonicast is produced by Fiona Duffy and Drew DeSimone. Audio mix and editing by Nick Corey. Cover art by Rusiak P. Vaitian. Vonicast episodes and all other KVML programming can be found on kvml.org and on our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Vonnegut Library. Will come too soon. Fate up against your will through the thick and thin. He will wait until you give yourself.